March and resist, pump your fist. Hold your hand in the air just like this. Hi, I'm your host, Sharon Hinson, again for another live edition. Right now we live um, at the beautiful Uptown Eggleston Square <laughs> Studios at BNN Media TV. Um, again, with another host, we're taking it to another level, another guest. I'm your host, there's not another host, it's me. But I have a wonderful guest, his name is Andre King. He is a former teacher at the Sandwich Public Schools. I say former, and we're gonna get into that, but he's the current school committee member at Barnstable School Committee. We're gonna be talking about education. Before we get to that and take a quick information about schools, tonight's whole thing about education, the state of black educators in education, the state of the local situ situation in education. Um, I wanna give a shout out to all the delegates and all the visitors to Boston we don't call it Beantown, you probably do. Boston from the NAACP convention, thank you. Sorry it took 40 years to bring you back because we needed you all of those 40 years. And by the way, the Garrity mandate that 25% of the teachers in Boston Public Schools should be black Americans has never, 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 never been reached and we still have issues. So thank you NAACP for coming here and highlighting what's going on. I hope you see the condition of here versus those wonderful places that you're coming from. And hopefully we can partner together and do something about it. Tonight you can do something about this particular brother situation. At the end of the program, there will be a petition to help him fight. And we're fighting here and we're winning on another level. Stay with us. Welcome back. See that little piece right there? I didn't produce it. Thank you for Facebook and the people that produced that. Um, the oldest public school and private schools originated here in Boston. And they're still part of the controversy. That piece right there was kind of too quick for you to read it. As a matter of fact, when I was reading it on my phone, I had to stop it and go back. Um, these schools were originated in like 1608, 1638. 1600s. Think about that. This is 2023. Juneteenth, 1865. Brown versus Board of Education, 1954. Boston School Committee is appointed, not elected. There's all these issues. But we want to put a human face to the issues tonight, right? Andre King, up until about a month ago, was a teacher in Sandwich Public Schools, the only black male teacher in Sandwich Public Schools. And considering the crisis that we have across the country trying to find educators at all, 
why on earth wouldn't he still be a teacher at the Sandwich Public Schools? And he's actually on the school committee in Barnstable. How do you do that and get away with it? So I want to welcome my guest, Andre. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you Mr. King. King, <laughs> King. King, 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 King Andre. Andre's fine. I, I, you know what, you and I have talked several times now. And um, unfortunately, we have a situation where educators, black educators in Boston are, are pursuing litigation for wrongful termination. And so there's different ways that people can push you out of your job. It's not always termination. Sometimes it's not renewing your contract. And depending on where you are in your educational journey, if you have tenure or if you've got some clout or some connections or a really good lawyer, um, you may or may not hold on to your job. Uh, August in Boston, there were um, six educators. The last I heard, it might even be eight educators now that are pursuing, um, pursuing uh, a litigation against BPS. And so there was a change of superintendents in between there. There's been silence from the superintendent. Um, not really silence. She has been trying to navigate as the new uh, superintendent what to do because she came in the middle of stuff um, where there was a, a black superintendent before here. Boston has the glorious reputation of having rotating spinning doors like every two or three years with superintendents. And so the mayor, Mayor Wu, um, is trying to get stability. And so, and there was the pending sort of Damocles from the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education to take over the Boston Public Schools. Now that's a huge public school system, one of the largest public school systems in the country. But then if you look across the country in Chicago, um, New Orleans was the only fully charter school system. And that happened um, after Hurricane Katrina. You know, the black teachers were pushed out, the charter school systems came in. And so I think everybody, especially parents and students, are just trying to get a quality education. And in between there are these skirmishes about exam school admissions, black teachers, multilingual education, special education. So it's all of this stuff that's going on. But tell me, how long were you teaching there? What was it like for you teaching there? And what is it like being, and this is a lot of stuff, we could talk for the whole show on just one of these <laughs> questions, right? What is it like being a black male teacher? Like, tell me the subject you were teaching and, and what you love about being a teacher. Because right now in this country, that's not really an esteemed position, it should be. Other countries, you know, professors and educators are really revered. Here they sort of, yeah, we'll do this. And then a lot of um, the discussion that I hear from educators is there's so much put on you now because of the data collection, because of the additional things, depending on who you are. Um, if you're a black male teacher or, or, or a black teacher and you happen to be strong, you tend to be treated like you're supposed to be the disciplinarian as opposed to just the English teacher or just the math teacher. So tell me what your experience was like, because um, we have to say was now. This is the summer, but also you haven't received a, a reappointment. So what happened? How did you get there? How was it? And what happened? All right, so a number of, of good questions. But what I'll say is uh, I've been teaching for 14 years. Uh, and so I, I enjoy teaching. Uh, we say sometimes that it's a, it's a, it's a calling. It, it, it's a vocation. Uh, it's something that you kind of have in you, and so I've always uh, been inclined that way, and, and I'm, I'm glad to be a teacher uh, in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Uh, I was in Sandwich for two years, and the way that, that came to be is uh, the pandemic was obviously 2020 uh, when the world stopped. 
Uh, so that year I was working as a teacher assistant in Barnstable. And then in the 2020-2021 school year, I got a full-time opportunity in Barnstable, my home district, which I thought was a, a great step in the, in the right direction. Uh, fortunately, didn't miss a day of school, uh, positive evaluations. We, we talk about um, the things that teachers, students, and parents had to go through during the pandemic in Barnesville, we had hybrid instruction, meaning that you're in school for two days, you're out of school for two days, um, and then we have that virtual day on a Wednesday. Uh, but the point of fact is it, it was a good school year, but with the teachers returning, we had a fully virtual cohort. So they had teachers coming back now uh, for the next school year that they couldn't renew my contract. Now, what subject do you teach? I, I taught civics, eighth grade civics, and then U.S. History 1. Okay. Uh, my licensure is in History 5 to 12. Okay. And so that in and of itself was... Uh, challenging in that my, my heart is in Barnstable, you know, graduated from the high school, really wanted to invest and in, in, in work in the district, and I thought we were making strides in the right direction. But because of staffing in this instance, we had a global situation with the pandemic. They, you had teachers coming back and they couldn't renew uh, my contract. And so I say, um, what's next? A fellow staff member brought it to my attention that there was two history openings in sandwich, not one, but two, and that, and that I should apply. Uh, and so, again, needing an opportunity, I, I put the op application in sandwich. I didn't have any previous work experience in sandwich, but as I've told you, I'm a sports uh, person, sports fanatic, and so I referee youth and high school basketball, so I had a number of interactions in sandwich through athletics. And there's two history openings. Uh, I interview, um, the department head happened to be a Barnstable graduate. Long story not so long, I, I get the opportunity. Um, great. Uh, back in education, not in my home district, but in an adjoining district with, with, with a chance to make a difference. Now, having that opportunity in Sandwich then opened up the possibility for me to run for school committee in Barnstable. Mm -hmm. um, I'm an wait a minute, wait a minute. How did that connect? Because that's two different, that's kind of two different fish is in the same ocean, but it's still two different fish. Like being an elected official yes. in the educational sphere and being an educator in the educational sphere. How did that, did it conflict? Did it jive? Did it overlap? Was it complementary? I thought that it was symmetrical and there was a symmetry in that diversity in education is something that I've experienced personally and that I've been calling for really for the entirety of my 14 years. As I said, it took a time for me to get my foot in the door in my home district and these further Cape districts when clearly the data shows, as we're talking about, diversity in education is directly attributed to student achievement. This is something that's highlighted. I'm proud to be an educator in the Commonwealth. We lead the nation in public education. And so it's something that we know, it's something uh, that works, so why is there this disconnect in terms of actually putting teachers in the classroom? And what you constantly hear from districts is, we can't find anybody. Okay, stop right there. But they already had you, so they didn't have to find you. You were already there, and you have 14 years of experience. You grew up around it. Now, for some people that don't know, where is Sandwich? Like Massachusetts is this with the little hook, you know, in the Cape Cod so, Islands. So where is Sandwich? <laughs> so if, if you have Cape Cod, we, we call, you know, it's like you're making, you know, even though, you know, I, I need to do my push-ups a little bit more. But if Cape Cod <laughs> is, is here, Sandwich is going to be the second town that you come into. Okay. So you cross the bridge, you're in Bourne, okay, and then the Sandwich will be the next town that you're, that okay, you're going to come gotcha, into. Gotcha. And then Barnes will be the next town. On the way to the Cape after, of the Beach. After that, yes. Gotcha. So it, it, it's right there. Um, near, near the canal. And, and Barnstable and Sandwich, they, they're, they border each other. Um, it, the two communities. And then the black population is what? 
Now, Barnstable is more diverse than Sandwich. So the student diversity in Barnstable is approximately 47%. Sandwich, it's about 11%. Okay. So Barnstable is the largest district on the Cape and Islands, and it's the most diverse district uh, on the Cape and Islands in terms of overall numbers. There we go. You're yes. showing it. Thank you, my yeah. wonderful director. Yes. Yay. And, and so the, to, to, to your question, it, it was... Um, it was not what I had originally intended. I wanted to remain in Barnstable, but the opportunity in Sandwich gave me the, the chance to run for school committee. In Barnstable, you can't teach in the district and be a member of the school conflict committee. Conflict of interest. There's a conflict of interest there. Right. And so I had been following this. I had been advocating for it for years, talking to administrators, talking to school committee members. Uh, and we didn't have diversity in the staff. We didn't have the diversity amongst our administrators, which was something that we, we were striving for. And there was certainly no diversity on the school committee. And so I got the opportunity in Sandwich. And because of, of how I left and you know, we, we get a lot of sentiments and, and it, we would like to do this. And when you say how you left from the teaching position? How I left Barnstable okay. having for so many years tried to get into the district. Okay. And, and this is kind of central to the story. It's that the pandemic created um, notable and unique challenges for education, but it was also a time of opportunity in terms of one generation leaving the profession, and then now there's an opportunity for new faces that had been waiting to come into the profession. And that, that was the circumstance. Again, two history openings at one school, and there were over 20 openings at the middle high school alone. Oh, okay, God. so across the district, and this was just not unique to, to Sandwich or Barnes, this is nationwide. Right, right. The teacher, you know, there was a need for teachers, and so for people that had been in the profession for some time and that were trying to get uh, a start, you know, it, it provided that opportunity, and so I was fortunate to get the opportunity, uh, the chance to teach in Sandwich, to run for school committee in Barnstable. I was able to win uh, against, there was five people running for two seats, uh, and I, I won by uh, 27 votes was between myself and an, an incumbent that had been in office for over uh, 10 years. And then a fellow educator that also ran received about 200 votes more than, uh, than myself and the other candidates. So two, two great opportunities unexpected, but now to, um, to have an impact in the classroom and then to kind of have an impact at the district level. Again, I, I ran for school committee. Diversity in education was a, a top priority. That, that's at the top of my list. And then also something that we deal with on the Cape is student retention, keeping students within uh, our home districts. We have, uh, and, and I'm for competition, but uh, Sturgis Public Charter School, which leads the state, uh, in education uh, and, and is nationally ranked is in Barnstable. It's a stone throw away from the high school. Uh, it's grown from a small charter school to now a charter school of 800 students. Oh, wow. Making it the third or fourth largest high school on the Cape. And so the, the idea that I experienced as an educator, whereas Barnstable had over 2,000 students, but now has 1,800 students, less students, you can't hire as many people, and that's why it took me longer. And to that's happening nationally, too, because people are just not having enough, as many kids. And then when you're yes. talking about the, the children who are actually coming into any system, it's a widely diverse, multilingual population and who may have different educational experiences from different countries, different home base, and all that other stuff. But everybody, everybody wants to be educated. It doesn't matter where you're coming from or how you got here. You want the best education. And so... We hear this story, but tell me what, what it is that you love about being a teacher, about being an educator, and how is that different, or is it different being a black male teacher than just a regular 
um, the majority of teachers in the Boston public schools and a lot of public schools are white females who may or may not know our kids, who may or may not be from the neighborhood, who may or may not be um, culturally competent to the population that they're teaching. Not that they're, they're mean or they want to do it, but th this is what they have to work with, right? And so if you're coming from um, someplace that has uh, very few people of color, very few people who speak another language and have different cultural backgrounds, and you're coming to teach a subject, and, and I'll give you an experience. So you talked about civics. If you have um, students that are coming from a country that's not democratic, and you're trying to teach civics, you have to be able to relate to them, and you may have to go off script in terms of what the curriculum says. So what is it that you like about, because I do believe it's a calling too as an educator, just like a doctor or a pastor. What is it that you like about being an educator, and do you still want to be an educator? Well, I, I still want to be an educator for sure. Uh, I, I'm going to stay in the game and, and, and continue for. What I like about being an educator, again, I'm, I'm a history teacher. So that's my perspective. And when I look at myself and my achievements and my formative moments, many of those are tied to my teachers and my professors and my coaches. Mm. So the things that I've been able to achieve when I kind of look at my my life, and you know, I'm a history person, so this, this has always been how I've seen things. Mm -hmm. uh, not just in terms of a love of history, but then myself personally, mm -hmm. how I've grown, the, the, the areas that I need to improve. You know, you see those, those crucial moments when it, it was that teacher, that college professor, that, that, that coach that gave you the understanding, the perspective, the confidence, you know, to fortify yourself so that you could go on and, and make progress in, in the goals that you were uh, trying to achieve. And so ha having been fortunate uh, to have a great support system in my family, uh, to, to have studied with a number of great teachers along my journey, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's that you want to give back. This is how I have gotten to, to a certain place uh, in terms of my life and my career, having the opportunity to have a job and pay my bills, you know, and, you, you know, this is what I want to kind of pay forward. So uh, what's the difference about you being a black male teacher? Now, now the, you, you kind of uh, hit a nail on the head there in terms of, you know, kind of it was troubling to me as I worked in education, beginning as a substitute teacher assistant, getting my license in 2013, and then entering the perception that other educators would have of students. Um, and I just didn't see it that way. Now, uh, what do you mean? Because I don't. I think I may know what you mean, but I want our viewers yes. and listeners to know what you mean yeah, when you say that. You know, the, the, the student you know, uh, has some challenges. Uh, it, it may be academic. It may be behavioral. Uh, it may be in terms of confidence. They're a student. They're learning. They're growing. Uh, if you had the understanding, the knowledge, the confidence, you would graduate at 13 and beyond to the Ivy Leagues. But mm -hmm. you're, it's a process. And so these are some of, you know, you make that initial assessment, like these are the strengths a student has, and these are the areas that need, that need correction. That's mm -hmm. true of students, that's true of staff members, that's true of anybody. But for me, it was, again, as I'm working my way into the profession and recognizing the, the authority and the impact that teachers have. Teachers are second in public esteem, uh, I remember seeing a survey, to nurses in terms of the way people perceive. Now, we might not be paid, you know, or, or the, 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 the payment may not be, you know, light the world on fire, but in terms of when people say, oh, you're a teacher, they, that's a good thing. You're doing something positive in, in, in the community. And I, historically, teachers and preachers were up at the top of the echelon because we were denied so many other positions of um, recognition, yes. um, achievement, yes. and we are, and I'm saying we, 
we teach everybody else. We teach everybody else the fundamentals so they could be engineers and doctors and lawyers and inventors and physicists. If you don't have the fundamentals, I mean, I think all of our kids are genius. And if they get into the wrong system, it dumbs them down. So to that point, the, the role that you have in that young person, in that family's life over that one year span, it's notable, borderline monumental. You, if you instill confidence, like I believe that you can do that into the student. Now, we're not going to gloss over anything. If, you're, if you have an academic deficiency, then you have an academic deficiency. And but, but let's go back to being a black male teacher, because that's different. And so the point is, my perception of students and their strengths and their shortcomings was different than my colleagues' perception of these students. And when, when, when you get these narratives, that's a bad kid. You know, um, this kid can't learn. He's, he, so or she, he or she is not capable. We can't do this school activity because they can't handle it. We want to do X, Y, and Z, but we can't do X, Y, and Z. This thinking, so not only is it- research that says that black teachers have higher expectations of black students, and that raises the bar. And it's the expectation that we have that our students come up to meet. Malcolm yeah. X was told that he couldn't be a lawyer because no colored boy is ever gonna be a lawyer. Um, so are you saying that even in 2021, 22, 23, that there are still teachers that are coming from the mentality? What I'm saying is that um, we need to have the same expectations and aspirations for our students that we would have for the people that we know, our family members. We need to give them the benefit of the doubt in the same way so that's that- that's a yes. Yes, so, so that's, a, that, that's a yes. And, and to your point about, because you bring up a, a good point in terms of my experience in that, I, as you can tell, I believe in the academy. I believe in the open exchange of ideas. We don't have to agree on everything, but as a teacher of color, I think sometimes, you know, I'm seeing strengths, capabilities, opportunities in students. Because of your frame of reference. That other teachers weren't seeing, and that's fine, but it can, and I think this is a, 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 an experience, it can lead to disagreements, and that can be, uh, that can be smoothed out, and, that can be, not, and that, that can be difficult between different educators. And I think that's been something that's been a part of my educational journey. And now back to my, my time in Sandwich, what I'll say is, and I just want to make this clear to people, it was two very positive years in terms of my staff members that I work with at the seventh grade level, in terms of my department, in terms of the school overall. I missed one day in two years, and that was for a, a staff member's memorial service. And so fortunately, you know, I show up, you know, I do my best, you know, and you keep the kids in mind. You know, you have these, um, and so we were making progress in a district that has had challenges when it comes to cultural competency. But hold on, hold on, because we got to take a break. Sure. And I want to put it right there. And I want to come back, because you're specifically a history teacher, in the context of the national debate of CRT, which is history. And it's American history that includes everybody. You heard what I said. We got a clip that's going to give you some more information, specifically talking about black male teachers and the challenges that they're dealing with don't go away and go to the bathroom and grab something. Stay here because we've got information, particularly during this break, and stay with us on another level. Teaching our children in tonight's In My Humble Opinion.
So when Newsour asked me to write and deliver this essay about why there's so few black male teachers, I was excited, I agreed. But I then realized that I needed to discuss this issue by presenting it in a way that kind of exemplifies the problem. And the problem is that no one's really listening. So for this essay, you're going to have to listen, but do so in a little bit of a different way. See, like some other black cultural values and modes of expression that black male teachers and their students share and have in common, hip hop is demonized by the public and then it is devalued in schools. So whether we're talking about dance, dress, slang, entertainment, we have these forms of culture that need to be accepted with some limits, of course, in schools. And we do that to engage students and then to retain teachers. When they are not accepted, students underperform, teachers get frustrated, and then they leave. See, black youth drop out, get suspended at higher rates. Schools react about that fact, so they hire a black face. Black male went through hell, dodged a cell, got a degree. School's excited, he got hired, they gave him some mentees. Now, these mentees breathe through PE with ease, but at best CCs if the course talks degrees or racial proportion, cause math is boring, the language is anguish, they languish in their performance. Frustrated, they updated their thug image, stuck in the sewage cultural irrelevance created. Poor instruction, boring structures, then I'm called into rupture and I'm overwhelmed. Yeah, I'm black and the kids are black too, but what I know is right to do means breaking the school's rules. So we leave the profession in every major city, 40% in Chicago, 19 in Philly, really. We can't stand being the teachers that we hated, but they made us suspend them and punish them with bad grades. The school system is more diverse than ever, but I never see myself amongst the faculty and whether I do or not doesn't make much of a difference if you hire me, retire me, and do not change the system. Listen, like 50% of the public school students are of color, right? 82% of those teachers are of the other white. Less than 2% of those who teach are black males. One in 15 of those same males end up in jail. Schools criminalize and society despises us. For the black male teacher, frustration rises in us. Now students respond in anger and hate schools. Then the teachers respond and start tightening up the rules. Test prep begets yet even more frustration. I prep them for a test they detest so they fail it. Then I get blamed and nailed to the cross as if I'm the cause of it. So of course I feel I'm forced to quit. The source of this often sits at the precipice of pessimists who gets to spit a less legit hypothesis about my grit when it's obvious that I am forced to fit in the system. So I quit. Interested in becoming a radio DJ? Boston Neighborhood Network's 102.9 FM is offering a course of radio production that can get you started. For more information, please head over to bnnmedia.org backslash services backslash workshops.
So that piece that you're looking, and it's kind of small, I apologize for that, um, was about the People's Academy. The People's Academy Incorporated is a school, it's a technical vocational school in Dorchester, um, founded and headed up by a really good friend of mine who's the lead instructor, T. Michael Thomas. We call him Too Much Talent, T. Michael Thomas. He teaches carpentry, sheet metal work, um, carpet artistry. He's a leading black carpet artist in the country. And he's wanted all over the place, but he's decided to make his home in Boston. Sheet metal, pipe fitting, carpentry, and um, construction trades. And he's been teaching people to either go into business on their own as an entrepreneur or to actually join the trades. And he's actually been instrumental in putting 26 people into the trades. It's Corey Friendly. And it's been keeping people out of prison and then getting, in, get, getting them into gainful employment once they come out of prison. And so T. Michael Thomas, that installation is actually in the seaport um, down at the NAACB convention, and it will remain there um, even after the convention is gone in a couple of days. There are two different other things that I think you need to know about. One, uh, if we can put the flyers up, one of them is the Community Resource Fair, New Beginnings, Reentry Services. Community Resource Fair is Saturday, August 18th. Yes, 19th, Saturday, August, thank you. Community Resource Fair, Saturday, August 19th, is from 11 to 4. It is in the vacant lot right next to the Grove Hall Post Office. This is the second annual Community Resource Fair. Last year, over 40 organizations that were providing services, information, and resources, not only for the greater Boston area, but in Dorchester for Dorchester residents, but also residents who are now being termed re-entering citizens. So re-entering Citizens is another um, way of saying formerly incarcerated because we're trying to take the stigma out of that. And so a lot of the resources, um, how to get a bank account, how to get credit. Uh, we have somebody this year that's talking about, which I did not know about, insurance. Do you know if you are convicted of a felony, you may not be able to get life insurance? If you have certain kinds of, uh, like a DUI operating underneath the influence, you cannot get a life insurance. And so many people are being shot, killed, die at young ages and you know you see all these GoFundMe pages coming up. There's another um, flyer too and it's about um, a community meeting that's coming up on Thursday this week that is talking about um, Blue Hill Avenue and what's going on in Franklin Park. There are initiatives, you can't really read it, community meeting, there it is. Important um, in-person community meeting, a lot of things are going uh, in-person and this is talking about Franklin Park and, and having housing. Uh, for a lot of people that are mass incarcerated, or drug addicted, and so there's issues coming back and forth about why you're putting it like NIMBY, not my backyard, not my neighborhood. And so you have to put them somewhere. And there are people that are dying. And even though you look at the images, and, and shout out to Dominguez de Rosa who has kept this issue at the forefront and actually made it an election issue in the last election where the mayor really had to do something. So there are things going on. The Bay State Banner is under new um, ownership and shout out to my friend Ron Mitchell so and, and Boston Neighborhood Network Media and all the producers in the Boston Media Producers Group. We're on the ground because we live around you. We're from this neighborhood. And we're trying to get and doing a pretty good job. We could do better. We need your help. There was a, an, an advertisement or a promo about becoming a community producer. And so there's a radio station here. You can learn how to podcast here. There are TV stations here. You see me, you guys see me in the street, you see me on the bus, not too often on the bus, but um, you can do what I'm doing and you can get better at it. You just have to come here and get the training, become a member. And there's a unique perspective that is part of the democratic society that we need. How can you vote? Every year in Boston seems to be election year. This is an election year for city council. 
And so instead of just reading about the negative news or the positive news or any kind of news about what's going on in politics, you can influence it. And the one way that you do it is register and vote and then vote. Don't just register, you need to vote. Or if you don't like the people that are running, you can run. That's the part of a democracy. You can actually become an elected official. And I have an elected official here with me in the studio. His name is Andre King. He is a Barnstable School Committee member. He's for a four-year term. He's um, at the beginning of that four-year term. Welcome back after the break, black teacher. Um, the piece that we saw that was, uh, it was Chris N N Emden of Columbia University. And it was why there's so few black male teachers. Chris Emden of Columbia University suggests that a cycle of failure haunts students and their teachers. Students act out, so teachers tighten the rules. More restrictions combined with dull and irrelevant curricula cause students to fail and teachers quit thinking it's their fault. And so he rapped about his, in his humble opinion, on why the system needs to be changed. You talked about before the break um, that you wanted to be part of the change, which is why you became an elected official in Barnstable. You're still an elected official in Barnstable. And you are on the front lines of feeling exactly what Chris Emden said and exactly you're, you're fighting right now. And so towards the end of this segment, I told you this was gonna go fast. We're gonna give information about how people can um, join this petition, join this fight. And it's not just for you. Right now we see you, so there's a human face on it. Um, I had a fight and won, which is how Black Teachers Matter was created, which is the 501c3 nonprofit that I founded and I'm executive producer of, um, executive director of, rather. And so what I saw was when I started to fight, other people were coming to me with their stories. Oh, they did this to me, they did that to me. In the pattern, there was no necessary uh, necessarily any disciplinary measures against it there were no bad evaluations um, you're just not the right fit you knew you weren't the right fit when you came there and you were the only black teacher right i mean it's like duh but as an american as a citizen as an employee you're supposed to have rights to be able to come into work and get what you need to be able to do the best job you can for your students so that they can go on and change the world. That's what teachers do, that's what educators do. We educate them with the fundamentals so they can take their genius and change the world. And so when you, the story you and I had, had talked about way before we got here, it was the question of, okay, so I feel this pressure. At that time when you and I were talking, you were still teaching. What are you gonna do about it? And so you have this petition, it's a thousand, how many signatures now? Oh, 1,066. 1,066. And the people that pushed you out, this is it right here, uh, rehire our history teacher, Mr. King. And so you have people that believe in you that are helping you fight this. I had people that believed in me. My students protested. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't have anything to do with it. I was working another job. I was working at a school and then also at a college. And so when I was at work, one of my coworkers said, you'd be so proud of your students. I was like, oh, what did they do? And he told me what they did. And that was really the prompting for me to be, to step up even more as another educator. It's like, okay, now I have to educate them to fight. This is how you, this is how you do it. You fight and you win. And so Black Teachers Matter was created and my students, and when their parents found out it was me, they was like, whoa, wait a minute. She's the reason you keep coming to school. Oh, no, 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 They did that to her. My kids told me we knew they were gonna, they always do this to the teachers that we like. And it's usually the black teachers. We knew they were gonna come after you. And I was like, wow. I'm trying to be really, I wasn't trying to be 
controversial or anything. I just wanted a job and I love to teach. And so the attention I was attracting because I believed in my kids and they wanted, they wanted somebody positive that's smiling, telling them all the greatness that they have in them. Who wouldn't go for that? I'd go for that, right? Meanwhile, I'm fighting what became a very toxic situation, but there were amazing educators that I was there within the class of my, my students were incredible. You talked about the challenges during the pandemic, but the challenges that happened in the pandemic, when you're talking about a public school where they, they were already challenged, with the communities already challenged, even made it more um, unsustainable, unbearable. And so even before that, I had experienced, and this is, I've taught in college and in middle school and high school, I've had students attempt suicide or have to deal with gun violence or have to deal with incarceration, either themselves personally or in their families. And then some of my students who were multilingual had the added challenge of trying to learn something in another language. And your teacher may or may not know that. So on top of the cultural competency or the lack thereof, and the need for um, classroom management, that's what they call it, right? But it's behavior modification. Um, when I saw some of the things that were happening that were stifling me, not only my students, and I talked to a friend of mine who was a correctional officer, and I said, what do you think about this? Is this what they have us doing? He says, oh, they're getting them ready for me. School to prison pipeline, right? And that's the last thing, and he talked about this. Our speaker talked about that. You don't want to contribute to that, and you know that you're there to be able to make a difference. How much does it hurt when you know you can make a difference, you had made, it, made a difference, but you're fighting a system that wants you to conform towards stuff that you know is detrimental in the first place. How do you fight that? How do you stay in, how do you stay in the fight? Because I know that you're fighting. We showed the petition. So tell me where you are now, what people can do, and what do you want to see? What is the good outcome for you in this whole fight? To be the perfect, not perfect, nobody's perfect, to be the best educator that you can be and to present um, a role model because black teachers are role models. They see us there and there's the possibility of them doing that. And then they see what we're struggling with. I mean, my kids would see me at stop a store, because I'm not going to give that store any because they're not paying me. But they would see me at a regular grocery store. It's like, what are you doing here? It's like, what do you mean I'm doing here? I live here. I'm shopping just like you. And so it put a human face on us, because we do have a position of authority when we're educators and we're teachers and professors. But then when they see you on the bus, they see you here, and they see you in the neighborhood, there's a pride that comes about us like, oh, that's my teacher. And you even see when they're talking to, you know, if they like you, they, when they're talking to their parents, that's my teacher, that's my professor, that's this, that, that. What is it that makes you want to fight? And what is the, what does winning the fight look like for you? You know, what makes me want to fight, uh, as you noted, it is the students themselves mm -hmm. and how this adversely affects them. Um, you know, I believe uh, in, in competition in the free market. So that's how I look at this objectively, uh, in, in that, you know, th these are instances that you have to deal with in, in navigating uh, an un imperfect world. Um, and, and so I, I do feel that the measures that were taken um, were not in keeping with our, uh, our, our standards and guidelines and laws uh, in Massachusetts. And so there is uh, legal rec recourse that I'm, that I'm looking at. But, but in terms of, you know, Chris Edmond, you know, he, he began talking about uh, hip hop and that mode of communication and, and the, uh, the sophistication, uh, the intellect, the mm -hmm. logic that goes into that. Mm -hmm. uh, but yet, at some times, we, we say that 
that's negative or that's bad and, and we're not going to allow that. Here's what it comes down to, um, and, and you mentioned this. Um, you have to make the curriculum relevant to your students, specifically when you're talking about history. And that's at the forefront of my mind. I, I, what I say is, I love Ken Burns, documentary filmmaker, okay? 10 hours of baseball jazz. But Ken Burns is an acquired taste. Everybody's not going to love Ken Burns. And when people talk about why they... Uh, or the Civil War. Or the Civil War, um, you know, or a, a Huey Long or whatever the case. But the point is, I'm very conscious as a history teacher of the need to connect this to my students' experience so that they can understand it. So it doesn't get lost in translation. They need to recognize and it needs to be broken down so that they can perceive, understand, and, and, and acquire that. So that's, that, that's the front of my mind as a history teacher. Also that I have a captive audience. Mm. And this goes back to your role as a teacher and, and what the impact that you have on people's lives. Whether, whether they like you, they don't like you, what, the experiences that we have with teachers, similar to sports, it, it goes with you the rest of your life. You can remember for that. For good or for bad. For good or bad. You know, I was in third grade and this teacher that they didn't like me, you know, and, and they put me in. You remember these things, just like a sports achievement. I was in fifth grade. I hit the game winning. It sticks with you. You know, and so that is the real impact. And just to be mindful and to recognize it doesn't seem like that. Our jobs are challenging, like many other jobs are challenging in society. Education, it's a condensed school year over 180 days. You mentioned in terms of the pandemic, the added layers in terms of data collection. It used to be, as you know, that if you told a student, I'm gonna call your parents, that would be the last thing the student would want to have happen. Or you have know, them show up. Or have them show up. You, know, you get immediate, they would fall into line. That's right. Now, the conversation that you're having with, and I'm for the conversation, but it's not, you're not always on the same page. Well, and, you have and that to happens teach and across you, the board, whether it's middle school, high school, or college. Yes. You sometimes, you know, college is a little bit different because you have the HIPAA. And so if the student doesn't give you, doesn't sign out the HIPAA, you literally can't tell their parents anything. And that can be a lot more challenging. Middle school and high school, um, you're right. Like some, they're, they're, so as a black woman and a black teacher, I could just give my students a look. They knew what was coming after that look. And so it was, you know, and it wasn't, it, it was a cultural thing. They knew, they just knew. It's like straighten up, boom. And that happened in college too. However, I remember meeting some of the parents and then realizing this is where this kid is getting it from. Because you start to, it's more a combative thing. And, and, and I've been challenged um, by students, white students, as if my credentials were good enough. And I remember teaching a college class, and this young, um, naive, I'll give him that credit, although he's, you know, I won't call him racist or prejudiced right out front. But I remember he said right in front of the class, what makes you think you're qualified to teach this class? I was literally, and I was like, <laughs> and I started to laugh. And I said, let me make sure I have this right. And then I started reading down my resume. I got halfway through and he's like, okay, okay. I said, no, no, no. You had enough guts and I appreciate that, that you said that because you said what somebody else in here is probably thinking. So let's dispel that so we can get back to learning. And then I kept going and kept going. And then the other, the other students were like, oh man, you started something now. But, it, but I don't remember any white teachers having to go through that in front of me. But I've been challenged by students, white students, um, not black students. Black students, you, you, you dress a certain way, you carry yourself in a certain way. There's a, digni there's a dignity to knowing that this black person who reminds me of my family, my neighborhood, has a position of authority and um, respect.
there's a respect to it, right? But as a black male, I noticed my colleagues were always being called on to discipline a kid. It doesn't matter if you're teaching math or science or history, Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so. And it's like, wait a minute, can I just, I have the same amount of time as you. Like, why, you know, why are we doing this? But you almost want to do it because you know the repercussion is, especially in public schools, certain public schools, they'll call the police. And so you don't want that to happen because you may know a little bit more about this kid who's challenged with the home life that they've been um, trusting enough to tell you. So you don't want to compromise that. You don't want to lose your job. So, and so you've got this weight. And then you've got a family. And you're going home to that. And then, you know, so people forget. It's like you have another life other than just being there. At one point, it was, you know, all women. They weren't supposed to be married. And they were teaching. But we always had the burden of being in this country and being forbidden by law to even read, never mind teach. And then when we had black teachers and there were HBCUs and single, we graduated more lawyers, engineers, scientists, doctors in these, in these one room schoolhouses, these HBCUs and these black, Howard University has more black graduates and more black students than all of the Ivy League colleges right now put together. But we can't depend on HBCUs and black teachers to hold that burden. So you being in sandwich, which you know, notably is more Caucasian, um, not so urban because it's down the Cape. What is it like for you? What are the survival techniques you need to be in that environment and thrive? Yeah, so I'll say that it, it starts with, and, and you kind of alluded to, that mutual respect. And what you see as well, you noted that in some instances, our diverse educators, our educators of color are called on for disciplinary purposes. Um, and, and you also see sometimes uh, when you have a, a staff member of color that a, a high percentage of students of color end up in that staff member's class. You know, your classes and students that are, other teachers are having trouble with, they'll end up in your class. But you noted that sometimes that you could give a student a look and they understood what you meant and they will straighten out. That is founded on the relationship that you've previously established with that young person. If you make that connection, if you prioritize engagement, if you prioritize relevancy, if that student looks at you and says, is this person going to give me a fair shake? Will they give me the benefit of the doubt? Do they care? Do they believe in me? Do they believe in me? Mm. If that's established, then you can push them. And you can, and they, and they and will. And they expect it. And they expect it, and they do wonderfully. But devoid of that, that's what puts us on a slippery slope. And I'll say, back to my situation in Sandwich, what I was proud of, I gave one pink slip in two years. One. Wow. Okay, because when you have these things, and they're, you know, it, and this is what the data shows. Not only and that was what grade? Seventh grade. Oh. Not yeah. only is the academic achievement accelerated, but the student discipline is notably reduced. And so the situation in Sandwich, what, what I'll say is that my staff, my, my fellow colleagues, there was mutual respect, mm -hmm. okay? I respect you, you respect, and, and we move forward. Now, there were staff members that we didn't always see eye to eye, which is fine, and that may have factored into the ultimate result. Um, and, and that's what I was kind of referring to previously, in that in real time, what you may have is a, a veteran staff member uh, that has a set perspective and way of doing things, and they have tenure and they, they, they have a status. Um, and then you have a newer staff member that comes in with a fresh look, a fresh approach. No one is kind of taking a, you know, this is your, nobody's. That's how you did it. That's how we doing it. I'm doing let's it. Let's come together. Yeah, let's come together. But, yeah. you know, I'm coming, I'm looking at it differently. And I'm also 
maybe prioritizing some things that were underutilized. And for me, the bottom line should be the results. Mm. And we were gleaning, producing results. So hold on. And I told you this was going to go fast. We have about five minutes. <laughs> we want, I want to put up that petition again, that petition page um, to get support for you. So two questions. Um, critical race theory as being a history teacher. What's your take on that? And how and, and states, more than one state has actually uh, legislated not to be able to teach it. We're not even going to deal with just Florida. It's not just them. It's a lot more other. How does that hit you as a, as a history teacher? So what I'll say is in terms of my role as an educator, teaching seventh grade, I teach ancient history. Okay. And now, so which civilization, like Roman, Greek? So we start with ancient, the, uh, ancient India, uh, then we move to ancient China, then we finish oh, with- Oh, you're going Sanskrit and the whole- Yeah, ancient okay. Greece, ancient Rome. So, uh, you know, critical race theory is obviously permeating uh, a, a national conversation, and it's important to, to address those things. But as an educator teaching ancient history, you know, we're not coming anywhere near the modern age where this theory would, would, would play itself so out. So in ancient history, you mentioned Asia, India, Southeast Asia, Asia, China. What about Africa, which is the oldest civilization? Is that in the curriculum? Our curriculum did not. Now, in, in many times, you would Egypt would be a civilization that you would study in ancient history. But for us, it was um, the two Asian countries, India and China, and then we went to we went to Europe with with Greece and, and Rome. And and there's that's a conversation that I'm willing to have. We uh, how do you include the, the African nation? In terms of critical race theory, I encounter that more in my work as a school committee member, mm. um, more so as an educator. And what I can tell you is that, you know, it, you see it in the messaging and in, in the questions. What I tell in terms of talking to parents and, and students is that critical race theory, this isn't a college level um, idea and concept that, that you will interact with if you're talking about critical race, like the, the theory itself is something that you're going to experience at the collegiate level. Parts of critical race theory may play themselves out when you're studying U.S. history one, more so U.S. history two when we get into the, the 20th century and then going into the 21st century. You'll get into some of the, the principles in terms of how race, culture, and class. I mean, you can't. Two minutes, wow. It's two minutes to go, but it, it's, <laughs> it, it's, tough to, it's tough to explain the civil rights movement without talking about race, culture, and ethnicity. Right. So that's when you would get you into, you, when, in, into those com components. But that's, again, I, I think that for parents to understand, as in other things that in a national conversation, whether it be certain types of education that you can opt out on, critical race theory is not as much, anywhere near as much a part of the public school experience as I think people uh, might recognize. Andre King. King Andre. <laughs> Andre is good. Ooh, boy, I, I have to have you back. Um, this is not going away. No. I, um, so I went to Boston Public Schools and then I went to Beaver Country Day. And at that time, it was all white, all wealthy, all female. That's another whole different conversation in terms of quality and what was available and when education is not depending on public tax dollars. Um, so that's another, but as an educator, I definitely want to follow you. Um, you wanted to give out an email address so that people wanted to contact you? Sure. Uh, if anyone's interested, it's aking2132 uh, at gmail.com. Andre, aking2132 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, that's really my way uh, of doing things as an educator, as a school committee member. Um, but if you have questions about what's going on, the student petition, where, where it's going, uh, 
and we can continue the conversation. That's uh, and, and at the end of the day, thank thank you so much for having me. Uh, you sleep better when when you have that approach. Uh, as an academic, we're not always going to agree, uh, yeah. but in that process, you know, um, you know, I, I think we we, we all grow uh, when it's respectful. Uh, that's uh, that's the the magic of education. The magic of education and the magic of public television. We can educate you. Hopefully you've been educated on another level. I'm your host, Sharon Hinton. My guest, Andre King. He's the current school committee member in Barnstable, former teacher, but hopefully teacher again, but always an educator. Indeed. And always educating and being involved in the educational process. We thank you for being here with us this evening. Please support public television and community access television. Take care of yourself and each other. God bless. Bye-bye.